Well, thanks, Vissi, and good morning, everyone. Uh, well done, angels and shepherds. I'm going to award uh, 100 points uh, shared unequally between, <laughs> between the, uh, the angels and the shepherds. Well done. Um, I love that story, don't you? It's great. In fact, I love it so much, I'm going to um, uh, tell it again. Only this time, I'm going to be reading from the new authorised, revised, international standard readers, illustrated edition, version or edition three. And uh, so here we go. And there were, in the same country, children keeping watch over their stockings by the fireplace. And lo, Father Christmas came upon them, and they were sore afraid. And Father Christmas said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people who can afford them. For unto you will be given great feasts of turkey, pudding, and cake, and many presents lying beneath a tree. And suddenly there will be with you a multitude of friends and relatives praising you and saying, thank you very much, that's just what I always wanted. <laughs> and it shall come to pass, as the relatives and friends go away into their own homes, that, that the parents will say one to another, oh bother, what a mess, I'm tired, let's clear up in the morning. And they will go with haste to bed wondering what Christmas is all about. Well, we can return to the original, uh, beautifully told and carefully researched story of the first Christmas told by Dr. Luke in order to discover or rediscover this morning what Christmas is really all about. As we look especially at the second part of that reading from verse 8 onwards. It's page 1028 in the Church Bibles. The story of the shepherds, the angel, and the baby in a feeding trough. And what I think might helpfully sum up Luke's message is this, that at Christmas, heaven touches earth. Heaven and earth combine and agree and do something wonderful together. Heaven touches earth at Christmas. And from my reading of this story in the following three particular ways. First of all, heaven touches earth as exalted angels appear to lowly shepherds. Exalted angels. Now, I would like to impress on you this morning, if I can, the reality of angels. I know there's a lot of nonsense spoken and written about angels in popular culture, but the teaching of the Bible is clear. Angels exist. They are the constant attendants around God's throne, and they are occasional visitors 
to planet Earth. Angels exist. I call them occasional visitors to planet Earth because between this appearance of angels to the shepherds and the appearance of angels, or at least an angel, uh, at the time of Jesus' glorious coming back to life after he had been put to death, between those two occasions of angelic appearances, we only know of two others during the life of Jesus. The first, when Jesus was sorely tempted by the devil in the wilderness, and the second, just before he was put to death, when he was in agony in the garden of Gethsemane. So even in Jesus' life, earthly lifetime, only, as far as we know, two visitations by angels. Yet, wonderful, yet what wonderful and significant visits they were, and none more wonderful than this one. Exalted angels then, and they are real. And let's put out of our minds, you know, rosy-cheeked, baby-faced little cherubs. In the Bible, angels are mighty beings. You know that just about always the first thing that angels have to say just after they have scared the living daylights out of people is, don't be afraid. <laughs> that's precisely what happens, of course, in this account. So it's exalted angels appearing. And who do they appear to? Well, lowly shepherds. Now, shepherds are sometimes thought of um, uh, as, uh, in Bible times as... Um, you know, people sometimes assume that they were a despised class. I'm not at all sure about that, certainly not in and around Bethlehem, which was, of course, the birthplace of David, the shepherd king. But even if shepherds weren't despised, then, yes, they were lowly. They were ordinary working blokes. Not very wealthy, not particularly well-educated, not very religious, how could they be, with their shift work and so on. Yes, probably, as Vitti quite rightly pointed out, a bit dirty and a bit smelly. Ordinary, honest, working people. Do you regard yourself as a rather ordinary person? And you think, well, I'm just a normal person. God wouldn't do anything special with or for me. No, think again. As far as the Bible is concerned, if you are an ordinary person, you're just the kind of person who God seeks and chooses and uses and has something special for, just like he had something special for these shepherds. So there's our first aspect of heaven touching earth as exalted angels appear to lowly shepherds in verses 8 and 9. Second aspect of heaven touching earth, and the most central, of course, is that our mighty God is born as a humble baby in verses 11 and 12. Now, why do I refer to what's going on here as our mighty God being born? Well, look at the remarkable, the astonishing way in which the angel describes the one who has been born. In verse 11, a saviour who is Christ the Lord. And what wonderful truth, what exalted truth is packed into that trio of titles. A saviour. Mary, in her song, back in verse 47 of chapter 1, 
has spoken of God, my Saviour. And Luke has already, in the beginning of his gospel, referred to the Lord nearly 20 times. And on each occasion, he's referring to the Lord God. Then the third title, the, uh, the, uh, the baby is given, is Christ. God's anointed one. God's Messiah. The one who has been longed for, for centuries. The one of whom the prophet said uh, and predicted, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He will sit on the throne of David forever and ever. There's so much of that prophecy and others like it ringing in the air around this scene. Yes, it is mighty God who has come down from heaven. And in what form has the mighty God come down? As a humble baby. Humble because born in humble circumstances. The place is full of other visitors called to Bethlehem by the census. And so he's laid in an animal's feeding trough. Yes, it's a humble birth indeed, away from their own home, in a borrowed room, in a a feeding trough. God humbled himself to become one of us, to become like you and like me in our most vulnerable phase, in our baby phase. But you know, God humbled himself in Christ even more than that. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2 says that um, Christ humbled himself. He took on the role of a slave and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the accursed death of a cross. He humbled himself twice to become one of us and like us and then to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, to die and bear the penalty for all our rebellion, all of our wrongdoing, all of our sin against one another and against our Heavenly Father. Mighty God is born as humble baby. And the third way in which heaven touches earth is this, that glory in heaven celebrates peace on earth. That's the song of the angels. It's called a company of angels. The word more literally means an army of angels. Isn't that wonderful? An army singing about peace. Glory in heaven. Glory to God in the highest, in brackets, assumed, implied, in the highest heaven. In the Old Testament, Job, chapter 38 and verse 7, tells us that angels shouted for joy at the dawn of creation. And now again they sing for joy at the dawn of God's new creation. 
as God begins to put back together his heaven and his earth, his cosmos, the universe. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Heaven is thrilled at what it sees happening. Think of the glory, the majesty, the intelligence, the memory that those angels had in heaven. And they know what we often forget to see so clearly, even though we know it too. That God is up to something wonderful. Nothing will ever be the same again. And heaven knows it and sings glory to God in the highest. And why are they so thrilled? Because God has done something which I think not only thrilled them, but probably surprised them. Why would God do that for them? But he has. And God pronounces through the angels peace on earth. Now we long don't we, for peace between the nations, peace between warring individuals. We long, don't we, for peace of mind and for peace of conscience. But the starting point, as far as Scripture is concerned, is peace with God. Uh, Peter, the Apostle Peter, when he was, he's preaching in record in Acts chapter 10, will summarize what we call the gospel as good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Paul, in Colossians, letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, will talk about peace through his blood shed on the cross because nothing else could win peace between God and human beings. No wonder then that the prophet spoke of the coming one, the Messiah, the Christ, as the Prince of Peace. Glory in heaven celebrates peace on earth. Well, I hope you agree with me that these are wonderful truths about heaven touching earth. But let's glance also at the shepherd's response. It's a kind of twofold response. And the shepherd's response is first of all to go and see. Let's go to Bethlehem and see what's happened. And and the next response is to go and tell. Now we are quite a diverse group of people here in church this morning, aren't we? But actually we fall into simply two groups. Those who need to hear the first part of the shepherd's response, come and see. Are you a person who's still asking questions, uh, looking, seeking, searching, inquiring about the Christian faith? Then come with the shepherds and see. See for yourself. Not to Bethlehem necessarily, although you can find a a wonderful church in the nativity, uh, nativity there, but the manger is gone and the baby is gone. Come to Scripture which the great reformer Martin Luther called the cradle of the Christ, because there you will find Christ in Scripture. Come in particular to Luke's Gospel. Start at the beginning and see how carefully he has researched his subject and become convinced that these things actually happened and so must make 
a difference. Come along again to church. You'll be very welcome. Ask people who you know to be followers of Jesus Christ. What's it like to become and to be a Christian? And get them to tell you warts and all. Failures as well as successes. Put your name down for our Discover course. To be held on uh, uh, one morning and one evening during, uh, uh, starting in, in February. And where you can ask honest questions and get honest answers to what the Christian faith and being a Christian is all about. Pick up this little book by Alistair Begg called Christmas Playlist that goes through some of these songs uh, that we find uh, sung in the early chapters of uh, the Gospel of Luke concerning the coming of Christ. In whatever way you, cho- you choose to do it, come and see for yourself. But the second part of the shepherd's response is for all the rest of us, those of us who have come, have asked, have sought, and have found. Go and tell. I wonder how many of you would consider yourself to be similar to me, which is that we much of the time we struggle to speak even to one another about the Christian faith that we know matters so much to us. We're like some Arctic river, aren't we? Frozen over at the mouth. Let us seek to enter in again to the joy of Christmas and God's gift to us and for that joy then to overflow in a natural speaking about what God has done for us and with us and in us. Let's follow Richard, our rector's lead, as he calls us to be yet more clear about what the good news, what the gospel is. As he encourages us to be yet more generous in our welcome to people who come in through our doors. And as he helps us to find ways of talking to one another, first of all, during or between services or end of services, about aspects of the Christian faith. Let's just get used to it and thereby follow the teaching of scripture and the example of the angels. Let there be an overflow this Christmas of love and joy and peace that we can't help speaking about. Let's pray. The grace of God has appeared to all. And that word grace means not even simply unmerited favor from God, but ill-deserved favor from God. God has come down to earth when we deserved the opposite of grace, the opposite of his kindness. Now, will we spurn that offer? Will we spurn that grace? Will we neglect that gift? Or will we embrace it? Find out more about it and seek to live more lovingly, more faithfully as Christ's soldiers and servants to the end of our lives and this Christmas. Amen.